Hello, my little mistakers, and welcome to the Humor in Mistakes podcast, where we encourage everyone to find humor in their mistakes. I'm your host, Donovan McNeil, and each week, my co-host, Andrew Gleason, and I invite a guest on, and we get them to open up about their mistakes. And Andrew and I laugh at them with the hopes that you little mistakers will learn that mistakes are okay and not be so afraid to make them. My voice is gone. um, And that's because I was celebrating my friend's bachelor party. He's getting married soon. I'm in the wedding and uh, shout out to the Merryweathers. But I learned a lot about weddings this weekend. And it taught me that people will spend a whole lot of money because of society. The average wedding costs $25,000. $25,000 puts me in the position to be treated terribly during a marriage. Like she could be cheating on me every single day, walking to work hand in hand with one of my coworkers. And I was like, look, I paid $25,000 to be with her. She hasn't spent that up yet. Like I spent 75 bucks for a backpack. 10 years ago, it's got holes in it. It barely operates, but God damn it, I'm getting my $75 worth. $25,000? I we not, We're not going nowhere. I felt like a dick, but we were talking about how much the wedding cost. I was like, bro, don't you still have student loans? All right. Have y'all bought a house yet? All right. Uh, have y'all gotten college money together for your future children so they don't have to be burdened with student loans? All right. I mean, priorities, priorities, party, parties, number one. Really, the only reason I'm talking shit is because I'm in the wedding and I did not get a plus one. And like it, this is single discrimination. Like I've been discriminated against every single wedding I've gone to. I don't get a plus one because I'm single. You can't help a brother out. Do you know how much magic is in the air during a wedding? That if I bring a casual acquaintance, I just invite her, that shenanigans will happen after the wedding? You can't help a brother out? But when I get married, I'm expected to give you a plus one. (laughs) Every boy that did not give me a plus one, whoever you are dating, whoever you are married to, will be sitting their asses at home. Your girl's going to be sitting at home watching Netflix, chilling by herself. I want to talk about my guest, Josh Lucas. We got a great episode here. Josh is a former journalist. He worked in the newspaper industry for 10 years, interviewing people. And the great thing about Josh is he grew up with a privileged background, recognized that privilege and has adjusted his life accordingly Um, He's very knowledgeable about a a myriad of subjects and he you can go to him for any advice, any type of help. And he's genuinely a dude that will always help. So I appreciated him coming on the show. The only negative is the show got cut off halfway through. Uh, That's on me. The memory card I had got full. That is a mistake that I made. Little mistakers. I made them, too. So you'll get halfway through it and it'll be getting great and then it'll cut off. Um, It happens in life. But enjoy the show. 
Hello, my little mistakers, and welcome to the Humor in Mistakes podcast, where we encourage everyone to find humor in their mistakes. We're here with our sound consultant. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's, let's go with that. Uh, Josh Lucas, he has over 10 years of journalism experience. He is the host of the Preferred Not To podcast, and Lucas Knows Best comedian show is that what you want to call it variety show uh semi-defunct game show i think is probably the best semi okay okay Uh, my my studio is in somewhat of a state of transition is it possible for a game show to be stuck in development hell (laughs) (laughs) sure why not i could be the first I uh, know it was just a little. It's a game show that I do with people that I know, and uh, they drink. They do. Uh, we do tend to do it on Sundays, okay. so people come by and have mimosas. My mom, wife makes up some pastries. People have mimosas. Oh, what pastries? Yeah. Okay. And uh, it all started as an effort to get rid of a bunch of junk that I had in a storage locker uh, that no one would ever buy from me. So I thought I would force people for the purposes of entertainment. To leave my house with it. To take it. Just get the hell out. Okay. I wonder if you went on to flipping communities, like those those flippers who like to browse yard sales, and you're like, you can keep 80% of the profit if you can get rid of this for me. Yeah, have you met those guys? They're nuts. Yeah, they don't seem... Um, like, I'm always wondering like what they're doing when they're not making the show, or what they were doing before they had a show. Like, if you and I met four... Varying stages of obesity, white guys whose job or whose life was hanging around storage lockers. <laughs> like, I don't think our first inclination would be TV. That is a TV show. I don't know, man. With that, the way things are changing, it's entertainment. Like, uh, <laughs> That's swamp what I people. I mean, yeah, I'll I be dead it. soon. You're right. My, my opinion doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> Who says you have to be talented? Just... I got, the swamp people They just go and hunt alligator <laughs> The I, swamp people? Have you seen swamp people? No But I'm just imagining Like a Marvel swamp thing But I don't know It's like Duck Dynasty On uh-huh. steroids <laughs> Wait the Duck Dynasty guys Aren't on steroids? <laughs> right uh, Yeah Cajun um, Duck Dynasty Yeah No Yeah so they're like Cajuns And they go out in the swamp And they yeah. uh, Eat Possum. They say hunt alligators. I haven't yeah, seen they, the show. Yeah, they hunt for alligators. Uh, it has like a very uh, Japanese anime feel to it because a lot of the shots are just circled all over again. Like mm-hmm. they'll try to show a shot from like the alligator's point of view. And occasionally when they get upset, do they turn into two-year-olds and their eyes turn into big circles? Oh, yeah, of course, of course. Right. Uh, they can power up too as well. Mm-hmm. That's uh, good. That's good. And you're like... Yeah, they do the same shot over and over again to make you convinced that something's changed, and I'm here for it sometimes. If I'm feeling ignorant enough. Well, you know, we all got to do something while we wait to die. Yeah. Yeah. What's your guilty pleasure? Uh, I don't believe in guilty pleasures. Okay. I think if you enjoy it, uh, tell the world that you enjoy it and live with the consequences. Uh, but I have had to come by that the hard way. And also, I'm 46-year-old unemployable who makes game shows and is an addict. So, you know, take that great with a game <laughs> uh, Taylor Swift music. I'll admit, I'm going to finally say it. She's a great song, songsmith. Is there controversy on that? I feel like... She's a talented person. 
the more popular she gets, the more it's like frowned also, upon to like, like her. Also, it's like a it's 2019. I think this is a discussion for. Are we on a podcast from 2012? Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, uh, you yeah, I was just talking to my wife about this the other day because we were watching. Um, the the have you seen that Lupita movie, The Little Monsters? It's the horror movie where she's a kindergarten teacher. She's charming and wonderful as always. This is uh, Lupita Nyong'o. Uh, she plays a kindergarten teacher in Australia, and she takes her class of kindergartners on a field trip, and they're beset upon by an army of the walking undead. And uh, she is her character is a fan of the Taylor Swift songs, and the movie treats it like that's something embarrassing or shameful as well. And I was talking to my wife about this, and I'm like, I think that that t- liking Taylor Swift music is something people pretend other people are embarrassed by, but that there aren't actually anybody out there who's like, I hate. I hate all the Taylor Swift music. I think it's just, it's a meme that other people, there's there's somebody out, oh, everybody hates it. Who hates, who could, who could possibly hate, I mean, you know, I'm sure there's somebody because taste is taste, but it, it seems like that's a safe ground for people to say, that's my guilty pleasure, is the Taylor Swift. It's like my guilty pleasure. I like drinking water. I still get when side I'm thirsty. Eyes. It, hit, it, it it gets me. <laughs> <laughs> I still get side eyes from liking Taylor Swift in the black community. I can't go to that's the. Prob- that's very I true. can't go to the cookout bumping Taylor Swift. Can't you? Can't. I mean, I can. Well, can't. Is, how do you define can't? Well, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, also, I figure like given that Kanye's somewhat on the outs. Amongst your people, I'm upset with my people over Kanye West right now. Uh, well, I'm just saying well, he's his, back his, in, right? his fortune has been higher. Yeah, you would think that would open some space in their heart <laughs> for T Swift. T Swizzle. T uh, Kanye West can do what he want. I guess he was at Howard recently, mm-hmm. and he even said on stage, "I thought y'all canceled me. I guess you didn't." And it was just like to me, it's like a slap in the face. <laughs> Like he's literally saying, I am so popular, I can do whatever I want, say whatever I want, and y'all will accept me back. I think more of I don't know, I mean, you know, far be it from me to parse what Kanye is saying ever. Um I find him fascinating because I for the longest time didn't understand him. You know, I understood he was talented and whatnot. Um but the the sort of obsessive phenomena around him, especially when he does a lot of really like dumb and deranged things, right? To me, this was obviously like a very gifted person. And again, I'm old. If we hadn't picked up on that vibe already, <laughs> uh, this was a very talented person who also had a lot of problems, and who maybe his problems were being made worse by the fact that he had a bunch of people around him telling him he could do no wrong. And then I realized, and this is where I'm getting to, I realized he's just James Brown. <laughs> no, really. Kanye West is James Brown. James Brown uh, is a man who dropped out of the eighth grade, was horrible to a lot of people in his life, but was a genius at one thing and brilliant at it, but also super weird. And like the parallels are remarkable. Like uh, James Brown became close friends with with Dick Nixon while Nixon was president. Uh, he, he had a very strong conservative politics streak where he would, you know, um, I mean, you've heard songs like Funky President or uh, 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 there's any number of songs from the early 70s where James Brown is sort of, let's get our own land, let's make our own, you know, let's be let's be like white folks, essentially. Uh, there's a song where he says, yeah, we're gonna uh, uh, oh, save our money like the mob, uh, uh, raise our food just like the man. Um, so there's, there's a lot of uh, 
ill-considered. But how did I go down this road of Kanye uh, being James Brown? I think you should write an article on that. Like, but no, it really. Uh, I, I think the parallels are so. And once I had that to latch onto, because I love James Brown. If you couldn't tell, <laughs> like he's, I truly love James Brown. Uh, once I had that to latch onto, I was like, oh, I get it. But the difference is, of course. James Brown was an illiterate chair grabber's kid from Barnwell, South Carolina, who had no excuse. <laughs> Kanye was largely a child of privilege. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's more just that uh, both are super talented African American men who are doing things that are unusual even in their chosen field. So. I think the parallels sort of naturally come from the kind of person who doesn't necessarily have a home and has to create your own home culturally. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think it's because you have to be so confident in doing something different. Mm -hmm. The problems with that confidence is when it starts to work, I feel like those are that that's just what starts to happen. That's like the right. consequences of having to have that level of confidence. Right. There are a lot of crazy people wandering around in the street who were confident that the spaceship was going to show up on that day that they knew it was going to show up because the vision came to them and said it's going to be May 3rd. And they went out and the spaceship wasn't there. The guy who said it was May 4th and he goes out and the spaceship is there, he's a genius. Kanye's the May 4th guy, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I can't but you got me to stay there. Yeah, I mean, well, this is terrible stuff. No, no, this, I, this is, is all cancel culture stuff. <laughs> I, nobody, fat nobody slams Kanye. People love to... to, to Get them on Twitter, but yeah, there was a there was a whole crowd over there. My thing is is if you want someone to go away, then you stop paying attention to him. So in a way, are you saying Kanye's the the Kanye's Candyman? I'm saying that, the <laughs> that if you want people to leave you alone, don't go on the internet and, and talk upload a video that says "Leave me alone." Yeah. It's the way it works. Well, celebrity, in a way, is like Candyman, right? The more you talk about them, the more power they have. Essentially, that's it. Okay, so we're here to discuss. <laughs> we're here to discuss you. We're here to talk about. Uh, yeah, that's that's mistaken. The man, the myth, the legend of James Brown. Of James I, I talk Brown. I've been talking about James Brown all the day. All day. Um, I could talk about Eminem for a while, too. Uh, <laughs> but no, we're here to talk about you and some of the mistakes uh, that you've made along the way. But let's first just get to know you. Like, if you had to describe yourself in three words, what would you say? Seeker. Mm. Adventurer. No. Um, in three words? <sighs> just some guy. Just some guy. Okay. Nice. Will you? So one thing that I've liked about you is that you've always done your own projects. Like I was listening to the Prefer Not To, and it's just you and Kate, right? Yeah. Uh, just talking about cocktails and mm -hmm. like your uh, Sumanth. What's it called? The drink. Uh, Which one? The la the latest one. Sumanth. The oh the the blue month blue myth. I am saying the wise Vermouth. Oh, oh, right. Our last episode was on Vermouth. We haven't done an episode in like well, almost a year now, but the last episode was on Vermouth. Yeah, which we had spent a hundred episodes talking about how much we hated Vermouth. Uh, and then we got several fancy kinds and we decided it wasn't so bad. You're just called a dry liqueur mixer in an Indian man. <laughs> well, let me teach you something about Vermouth. Uh, the reason that it's bad is because most people keep it out when it's supposed oh. to be drank within, like, what, a week or well, so? It's, it's a wine. It's a wine. So you don't leave it out. It's not a liqueur? <laughs> you, it's not. 
it is a wine. Huh. Go so most it. people leave it out uh, just because it's something to be mixed with, and it ends up tasting not as good. Most people who like, uh, what does James Bond drink? I'm teaching Martini. Andrew. Martinis. Yeah. Most people, <laughs> shaken, not stirred. Uh, they say very little of uh, that because it's been left out too long. Huh. That's right. And people and and the fashion has been for uh, ever drier and drier uh, martinis with less and less vermouth in them. So people buy vermouth and then just use a very small amount, and then it sits on their bar. And then the next time they have to use a drink with vermouth in it, they open it up and it smells like you know, hobo toe. <laughs> I didn't know that. I was a bartender. I didn't know that. Last question for you. Well, not last. How do you say accru- accoutrement? Accoutrement. Accoutrement. Okay, I got it right. Okay. Or, or if you're French. Accoutrement. Accoutrement. No, don't. <laughs> accoutrement. I am my own fucking worst now. <laughs> What's wrong with that? Accoutrement. <laughs> uh, what's your question? <laughs> oh, no, I just want to know how to pronounce it because oh. I was reading through a lot of the uh, Oh, well, we did a whole series on cocktail accoutrements. Like... Mm-hmm. You know, muddlers and glassware and things like that. It, the whole reason that we did this show is not that Kate and I were super knowledgeable about cocktails because we weren't. Um, it was really that we found cocktails super interesting and wanted to do a show together and felt like we could learn things together on the road. Uh, I don't road to cocktail. To the it's a that's a popular niche. Uh, yeah, in I guess 1999, if you're John Favreau. Oh, it was. It, there's a whole revival. Yeah, there's all Craft YouTube cocktails, channels yeah. of like mixologists, White Claw. I'm not a drinker. Yeah, uh, we. Uh, you know, um, I, I think we learned pretty quickly that cocktails um, are. You know, they're just a tool for having fun with people. It's not the... Well, you paired it with a movie each episode, Well, and right? uh, we, most of the episodes we paired them with movies because Kate and I uh, like to watch movies and talk about them, and we would um, watch... We went on a long string of watching number one movies uh, from various weeks in history. Nice. And um, we got to see... I think a device like that just um, got us to watch movies that we had no idea existed. So we got to see some things that we didn't know existed. <laughs> Tell me about Local Hero. My favorite movie. That's your favorite movie? Yeah. Oh, did not know that. Because uh, you uploaded a scene that was like, Ricky's on the road tonight. Oh, I didn't know yeah. what that meant. That was, I was sharing that with someone uh, that I needed to make a reference to that on the internet uh, to someone else. And I just put it on YouTube to let them, to let them see it. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it is my favorite movie. Uh, it's a 1981 movie by Bill Forsyth. It's a Scottish movie. Um, okay. About a small town in Scotland that's going to get bought up by an oil company, uh, and it's very going gentle. Tobias, I can't be Scottish. <laughs> There's life lessons in there. Uh, at some point, a dude has a handful of sand, mm-hmm. and he's. Really? Like, Have and you seen the movie? No, I just watched clips Other of Other clips? <laughs> That's how he I had to research. seem like an expert. You know, when you invite someone on, you research them. I should have been like, yeah, I've seen I'm the whole happy movie. That my, you know what? I'm happy that my internet profile is so meager that you came across that one clip that I uploaded for some guy I was talking to. That's, you know what that is? That is proof that I have done a good job covering my tracks. Fair enough. Fair enough. Hey, I noticed this on your internet history. What's that? <laughs> uh, okay, so how did you get into journal- <laughs> journalism? <laughs> Uh, I was in college, and um, I 
I was a dumb college kid, and um, is that what dumb college kids do? They go into journalism. If they're really tame and boring like me, uh, no, my school didn't have like a journalism program. And I just ended up glomming onto the newspaper for some reason. And uh, when it started, I was like a little teen Republican Joe, you know, listen to my opinions about the world. I know things, you know, like the, you know, like is everywhere now on the Internet, like those people. But this was back before there was an Internet. Uh, So I couldn't become a monster. Um, (laughs) And so I was that guy. Like at twenty two, knew everything about how. The oh, world at eighteen. Worked. Oh, oh, eighteen. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, I knew everything. I was like the annoying little white Republican kid in cardigans. I was just awful. Um, so I went to the paper, and there was like, there's a politics section, and I started writing like book reviews and things like that. But then I found that I was a lot more interested in just doing journalism, and um, my politics sort of drifted away. Uh, and then eventually over my life sort of changed. And, um, but I was much more interested in telling stories in journalism. And also, like, I, I love the, the sort of excitement, a, a, a frisson of uh, a, a thrill when you have a, a story or um, you're going to make a newspaper that put something in print that people haven't seen or want to see. And that sort of excitement is, is, is addictive. Um, and we're here at a comedy theater, and it's 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 akin to that sort of thrill when you're like in an improv set and it goes well and things like that. But then it's also very evanescent. You know, newspaper, it's gone the next day, just like performing. So you, what paper? Uh, this was my college newspaper. What uni- are you? Can you say what university? Uh, the University of Chicago. Okay, so it's um, a big city. Yeah, university. Well, that was the other thing. Is like I moved to the big city because I figured um, do it when you're on mom and dad's dime. Yeah. You know, when you're, again, a child of privilege who is literally cushioned from the consequences of every poor decision that he's ever made. I got into an argument with one of you at the summer camp that I worked at. We were, I don't know why. One of we, me, there's more than, I'm, am I Jamie Matrox, the multiple man? It, it was, well, it was so annoying because I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. So this kid was telling me how like people are lazy uh, and. Oh, we were, I was off. It was, uh, they're awful people. <laughs> they're the worst people in the world. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, uh. There's no thing. They were the worst. I was the worst. Why am I on your show? I'm the worst. You know why? Because I'm uh, rich and white and uh, have been cushioned from the negative consequences of every single poor decision that I've ever made in my life, including not having to talk about any of the poor decisions that I've ever made in my life on your podcast, ostensibly themed around the poor decisions that people have made in their lives. We're getting to it. We'll get. We'll, we'll talk about it. Yeah, but he was telling me that uh, people don't work hard. I was like, okay, so where? Do, he's like, I've had a job. I was like, so where do you work? It's like I work for my dad. Yeah, there it is. And I was like, I was like, so how much money do you make? An hour. He's like twenty bucks, and I was like, <laughs> "Sorry, you're gonna clip on that." One. Uh, yeah, and I was like, "Enough said." Like to be serious about it, like I had a real change in how I saw the world, and it took a long time. But working in newspapers really did. You know, I think one of the things that I'm not the first person to notice is about the world that we live in is that the range of people with whom we interact becomes more and more narrow as culture and technology allow us to find our tribe, as the kids say. They say that, right? Um, 
but sort of narrow cast our lives. And being a reporter is the opposite of that. And I think one of the reasons that we see a war, and God, there's nothing original about what I'm saying, but one of the reasons that we see or have the sense that people lack empathy nowadays is simply because they don't interact with enough different people to understand how people are different. Yeah, like I thought what like El, the Ellen situation where she eloquently said, uh, I have friends that disagree with me. And I was like, okay, you can't argue with that. Mm-hmm. And the internet drug her. And I'm like, how? I, I, you know, I mean, I understand where they were coming from. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't think that, but again, fully qualifying that this is coming from a place of intensely protected privilege in which I have been shielded from the consequences of my negative actions at every turn in my life. I don't see how beating people up as a reflex makes the world better. I don't get it either. But, you know, also we had to beat Hitler up. So, you know, (laughs) cuts both ways. And also smallpox. We had to kick smallpox in the nuts. If a Republican and also football, <laughs> football is a monstrous blood sport. Why aren't we criticizing Ellen for being at a football game? Yeah, it's CT. a devastating, monstrous blood sport that in a hundred years will be regarded as a barbarous, savage culture for having supported. I don't watch it. I'm making a joke, but I actually believe that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I haven't watched it in like three years, but they're asking us to boycott the NBA now. Not gonna happen. I have a whole. Uh, I haven't been into professional basketball in about 15 years, so that'll be an easy boycott for me. But the good news is I can go on Twitter and get points for it. <laughs> well, yes, I am a good. Who, who is it that would think I was a good person, by the way? Liberals. They would love you because uh, they say that LeBron James and a whole NBA only cares about money. Some do. Right, but I thought, but also wouldn't, but also wouldn't like the, the wackadoodle right wingers like people standing up to China because they hate communists? They do. Well, they found, so they're in the position where they can attack LeBron James because he stands up for other people's rights but doesn't stand up for time. You attack LeBron James for shit. Fuck you. <laughs> LeBron James is LeBron James. He made his own fucking life. He fucking was shit, shitty nowhere Akron, Ohio <laughs> and he became a great guy who did great shit in the world. Fuck you. You don't get to come down on LeBron James. And put his friends on. And put his friends on. You know? So he says one I, thing about politics. You know what so, you say? I don't agree with you, LeBron. Some oh, dude crowdfunded like $43,000 to buy LeBron James gear to burn it. <laughs> and he was successful. You know, I mean, uh, as someone who cares about climate change, I think that's probably a bad idea. <laughs> right? Uh, you know, I just... Uh, I don't get but it. But let me talk to you guys. Uh, seriously, because I'm old. And this is what you're going to... You're going to... You guys are both on the cusp of... You You think you're starting to feel old, but you're not. Okay? But you're on the cusp of actually starting to feel old. And there will come a day, and you'll be like me, where you look at the culture and you're like... I have landed on another planet. I, I don't understand anything that is going on. And that is when you start drinking. You go on people's podcasts uh, because you have nothing else to do. And um, you empty out your storage locker because that takes uh, plenty of time. And uh, you just find things to do to wait until you die because you're not supposed to live past 45 anyway. So I'm trying to create culture. That's a good. Yeah, you can do that. I want to define yeah, culture. 
You no, even itch. when I'm 50, I want to be Adam Sandler level to where I could just make Is movies. he defining the culture? Well, he doesn't have to give a <laughs> shit about the culture. <laughs> He's rich. There's a difference. I'm trying to be rich is what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. yeah. I don't think Adam Sandler is defining anyone's culture. I don't I don't want to come down on Adam Sandler. I mean, he's done stuff that I that I like in this world. Not all of it. I want to be Michelle Wolf. Okay. I'm going to start getting political with my comedy. Hey, you hear about this Trump guy? <laughs> no, but uh, the president? Let's talk about mistakes that you made along the way. Sure. So what do you want to know about mistakes? Um, I'm a connoisseur of failure. So let's talk about a mistake that you made that you can laugh at now. Uh, oh, but I mean, that's, it, there are too many. Narrow it down. Give me a mistake related to something. Okay, a mistake related to journalism. A mistake related to journalism that I can laugh at right now. Um, or not laugh, or just uh, something you learned from. Yeah. Um... I learned a lot from, and so it wasn't a mistake, I took a job as editor of a couple of small weekly newspapers in towns in South Carolina, and in a lot of ways it was the most rewarding experience of my life because I learned empathy for people who lived in ways that I didn't live um, by seeing how different small town South Carolina culture was from what I had grown up around. However, I was very bad at the job, and I did not engage with the community in the way that you would expect a community newspaper editor to do. But I was bad at it. I was really bad at it. Um, I'm just, I'm, yeah. So on the one hand, I learned a lot from spending a lot of time in these communities, but I was not very good at it. Um, How do you I, handle not being good at a job? At that point, doubling down and retreating. Um, I think we all... Uh, deal with our fear of failure in different ways, and a really common one is doubling down and hiding. It didn't work, so um, <laughs> I ended up uh, in a different job later, and I failed at that job too. So, well, you got offered, you got offered the job, where mm-hmm. you applied for the job mm-hmm. for a reason. Mm-hmm. Like, um, what uh, what led to that job? Well, I had been a reporter, right. um, and I wasn't super happy with the situation that I was in, and reporters don't make very much money to begin with, and it was an opportunity to jump to a better company and um, make a little bit more money and feel like a little bit more in control of my circumstances. And it was the environment shift that made the job harder? Um, it was a couple of things. I... Uh, was too young uh, to be doing it, but also um, I don't know, man, I'm just not a good employee. <laughs> I'm not, uh, I don't, I'm, you know, when left to my own devices, I'm bad at things. I'm just bad. I was bad at it. I feel like you're good at when you're interested in it. Like, so like Lucas yeah, Knows who, Beth was, is really well produced. Yeah, but and everybody's you, good when they're interested in things. That's not something to be proud of. You know, the the <laughs> you should be proud of when you do things that you know require work and don't require you to be engaged and enthusiastic about them. Kids today, these kids today. <laughs> I don't know what I was going to say. I have no advice to give anybody except as a cautionary example. What do you mean by that? D- don't do what I did. That's good advice. Yeah. How long were you at this job? The the weekly newspaper? I had two years, I think. Um, and then I went and I was a bureau reporter. And then I was a night city editor. And then I was a web editor. And then I left newspapers. And then the economy collapsed. And then I got married and uh, lived off savings because I live really cheap. And also see above re from the consequences of my own failures by a lifetime of privilege. 
So when you were really in the deepest, like, do you have any standout stories that you had to work on or stories that, particular stories that may have been uh, difficult for you? Difficult in terms of, like, having to, I mean, they're all difficult in terms of, you know, you have to go talk to people who've lost relatives who've been murdered or who are accused of doing crimes, and you have to ask them about the crimes that they're accused of doing. Um, I wouldn't necessarily regard that as... That's not ever part of the job that I found difficult. Um, So you're just good at asking questions like, anytime somebody's having a bad day, you're good to put a microphone in their face. April O'Neil. So, first of all, that's not... I was a newspaper reporter. Okay. So there's a fundamental difference because you're not showing a microphone in people's faces. Um, it's a tape recorder. But by and large, it's a myth that um, reporters go and harass people. People want to talk, even in very extreme circumstances. By and large, most reporters, all they have to do is ask. Um, so if someone, you know, if someone died or something, you know, do you have any memories of your father? And people will say them. Um, Now, part of that might be, you know, the Milgram experiment where people defer to people in authority and think of journalists as authority figures. But I think part of it is just, especially in in extremists, people like to talk because we are social creatures. Dude, that's so true. Like, so Andrew and I this week have been hitting up the top Instagrammers, like with the most followers in the area. And I was really apprehensive about it because I was like, they're not going to want to talk. But all you do is just say, hey, I want to invite you on this podcast where you get to talk about yourself for an hour. And they're just like, and unless unless they're me, (laughs) they love it. But again, they're all successful again. So again, lesson we have learned, talk about yourself as much as possible. People (laughs) like it. It's a hallmark of success, and it'll get you into heaven. It's like you can't wait to talk to Peter. I think yeah. if there's one thing that this culture lacks, it's people who are willing to have the spotlight put on them. <laughs> <laughs> you worked for how many years? Probably uh, eleven years in newspapers. Uh, did you have to make any uh, difficult decisions during that time? Yeah, gosh, I, I, I'm trying to think. A lot of times it was decisions about what is and isn't a story or um, how to approach people. I think a lot of times we have an idea that the former, that what is and isn't a story is most of what newspaper people do. But in my experience, especially at the local level, it's much more a question of tactics and resources than it is uh, grand overarching ethical questions. Like I said to you, most people want to talk about things. In general, I think the thing that most reporters have to learn is that let people tell you their story. I think most young reporters do too much talking to begin with. Just got, doubling back to talking about empathy, um, I, I think that is the skill that leads you to empathy and leads you to be able to go and talk to someone who's just lost a relative or who has been accused of a crime. Because if you as a person, if you truly believe, hey, this person has been accused of a crime, but it is not everything that they are, 
he's also a father, or he collects stamps, or whatever. Or well, if he's killed his whole family, he may not be a father anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> then he's a loving uncle, uh, or a devoted widower, uh, but or a free man, <laughs> right? Or the envy of his friends and peers. You really did it. Um, but no, but recognizing that, you know, we all make mistakes and we all have parts of us that are admirable and parts of us that we are embarrassed of and that we change over the course of our life. Um, again, this may just, I'm just speaking for myself, but being in newspapers, let me learn that. Um, and I think that's why I would recommend doing something like that for everyone. Get... I am a person who is deeply nervous and anxious about meeting people. Um, but being in a job where I had to go meet and, and interact with people who were unlike me and whose experiences were worlds different from mine, um, you cannot not be changed simply just by interacting with those people. So if anything, again, coming back to the way we started about how we live in a culture where everyone is very narrow cast, I think anything that sort of just pushes you ever so slightly to interact with people is a good thing. I mean, I am so white. Um, and so, I mean, I am the archetypal upper middle class college town white kid. Um, I And I learned things I would never have learned. And I think one of them is empathy. I don't think I would ever... You want to know why rich people are assholes? Because they can be. They don't have to learn what empathy is. Because yeah. they exist in a bubble. Yeah. My wife uh, talks about her job, she's a preschool teacher, as creating human beings. Um, and to a large extent, I think you, thinking about that as a process, as you know, we are not necessarily born, you know, we have the engine for it or the capacity in our brains for it, but just like doing crosswords or whatever, it's a skill that you have to learn. And I think empathy is one of those things that you have to learn it. Uh, I mean, a lot of the assholes were just people whose parents were assholes, and it just... That's how, how they yeah, It's learned. like that Onion story. Where was, uh, yeah. was it an Onion story where uh, Trump becomes America's first openly asshole president? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's true. He's, like it, he's, he's representing asshole Americans. I mean, if you think about it, like every president has to be an asshole in I, some way. Well, I, I, I think... Um, or I selfish. Think that, that is a... Well, you have to be... No, here's what you have to be. You have to be very ambitious and confident to stand up and say, of all of the hundreds of millions of people in this country, I am the best to do this job right now at this point in time. No mo person with a shred of modesty in them would do that. And, you know, that includes somebody like Obama who fakes modesty better than anybody. Um, I love the guy. Yeah. He's one, one of my favorite political figures in the world. But you have to be just wildly ambitious. Like, I'm going to be the first black right. president to even say I, I didn't even say it. I don't think I said black president before. <laughs> I right. It was the same way. Like, if you say it, somebody's going to shoot him. Like, somebody's going to notice. Like, oh, shit. Like, oh, shit, that man. Happen? Shit. <laughs> Oh, he's black. Shit. Yeah. A black person be president? <gasps> Andrew's solid I'm on that just, one. <laughs> this is, I'm going to get... It's not like I have a life to ruin, but, you know. 
please edit this and make me look less racist than I obviously no, no, am. You can say that. Like that's common knowledge to know that before Barack Obama, it was like if somebody black was like, "You want to be president one day?" You like, can't well, come here. Okay, so <laughs> a let's be clear. A black America wasn't sending its best for politics. Like the the best black Americans were going into business and culture and politicians, eh, not yeah. necessarily the the cream of the crop. Right. Fair enough. Uh, you know, white people don't do that either. We just, you know, we're lucky enough that it doesn't matter because we're white and nothing we do sticks. Have you ever reported on something or released, written an article or anything that you later regretted? Um, I have allowed to be printed things that I later regretted, but I don't want to mention them because uh, I don't want to uh, further call attention to things that were hurtful to people. Okay. So Does that make sense? I will tell you off the air. Uh, but yeah. Was it like stuff like. Uh, it was just something that was not newsworthy that at the time we deemed newsworthy. And I think that uh, that has happened. That has happened a few times. I, I worked for one newspaper, and I'll tell you sort of less less embarrassing versions of it. But, you know, I worked uh, at a newspaper at a place that was um, a very uh, sort of uh, white working class and a lot of wacky people. Um, and I felt like over the course of time we were enabling certain crazy people by reporting on their crazy shenanigans. Uh, there was a guy who would put signs out in his front yard looking for dates. Uh, and that story <laughs> got picked up by the Associated Press. And then he got calls from Italy and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, is this really, you know, it's not, it was never news to begin with. Right. It was just area, ma- area man mental. I don't know, I think kind of a running theme of, um, I don't know, just uh, media and what media can become. Yeah, although I think uh, I think people overstate, uh, I, I think the people who make media are you and me. They are part of the culture. They are not people separate from it. And uh, if you think that the media is creating the culture, it is as much the reverse as it is. Uh, the case. So, uh, uh, blame, blaming the media for things is uh, a you're just blaming yourself because they're just people, and b doesn't get you anywhere. I agree with that. It's it's why I, I like I'm not I don't get mad at corporations. Corporations are here because the people enable them. Like, let me, let me, let me be very specific. No newspaper would create Twitter. Something like Twitter is the exact opposite of what a media company would create because their existence is predicated on gatekeeping information and filtering it and curating it. But we can all agree that Twitter is monstrous. It is. And also amazing. But it is the product of the people who use it. If if everyone stopped using Twitter today, it would go away. Well, like in a couple of... Except the technology is there. Yeah. Can't, you know, can't unfuck my wife. (laughs) Speaking of fucking your wife. No, stop. That is all getting cut out. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. It's um, the clean way of putting that. Do you have any personal life mistakes? Oh, I have tons of those. Um, I will, uh, and we've already been on forever, and I don't want to make you edit everything down for... Oh, no, we're, we're um, great. Um, you've been I, married for a while. Uh, I haven't been married. It's always weird when people tell me that I'm married. I forget. Um, Can I'm, you say that as a married person? Yeah. I mean, I've never been married. I don't know. Yeah, 
my I my wife I have no complaints about my marriage so that's like it's very uninteresting in that way but I can tell you how I knew that the that my wife was the person that I should marry which was um, in previous relationships which had all ended because I was uh, sabotaging relationships based on my anxieties and fears about the future and things like that uh, and I felt You're none speaking of that to my heart and I felt none of that with my wife uh, I felt no fear or trepidation about marrying my wife whatsoever and that was how I knew uh, because I am easily frightened I sabotage not one to one but two different relationships based at least in part on my unwillingness to get on airplanes you gotta explain yeah I was about to say uh, well my the my longtime girlfriend was uh, going to a 10th um, Ish high school reunion or something, and I wouldn't fly up there uh, after we had bought the plane tickets, and I just said I don't want to go, and it was a big thing, and and she rightly held that against me. It wasn't the main reason, but then uh, a later woman that I dated uh, was a uh, travel writer, and she was in South America, and was in a boat wreck, and had a very serious head injury, and she might not even remember you. Uh, <laughs> um, that might have been better. Uh, no. Um, but had very, uh, serious head trauma, and I did not fly down there uh, to help her. And uh, she very rightly said, mm, I need to pick the people in my life more carefully. Uh, she and I are very good friends now, so it's great. But uh, that was uh, among the decisions I regret most in this life was not not doing that, uh, letting my anxiety and fear about it. And it wasn't just anxiety about fear uh, of, of flying. It was, you know... Flying down there to Brazil would have represented a committing to a relationship in a rather significant way. Um, See, but you can't predict the future, you know. So that I, I get it, I get it in relationships, you know. How do you predict if y'all? That's not the point. The point is not predicting. Uh, the point is being okay not predicting. The point is uh, I can see this person, and you know what. I'm fine right now, and nothing about this makes me anxious about the future. Well, it's like it's like having kids, which I would like to do. My wife does not want to, so it's solid, uh, and it's not huge on my list. But I've al- I always said that you should have kids when you are at a place in your life where you want this to be like someone's first impression of the world. Okay. Right. Like, oh, this would be a good first impression. Bring a kid in. Like, yeah, it's making a good solid. The art world is making a solid first impression. And I think that's sort of like, that's kind of how I view marriage, too, is like, yeah, I'm getting married to you, and I don't, yeah. A good, a good marriage could start from this. Now, we, we, we didn't do it normally. Like, we went to the courthouse. We didn't do a big wedding. We didn't. You know, um, but it worked for us. You know, I have a rule that I don't like to tell other people how to do their marriages. So, I'm thinking about the kid thing. So it's like essentially, when your kid pops out, like you're their first impression, or just the world. Like when the world and the world that you provide them, like you're able to stage a for good first impression for a kid. Okay, I got it. I got about two more years. Two more years until I can good. do it. I mean, again, that's just the rule that it was to, for me. Then you have to keep that facade going for but 18 also, years. But also, that's not to say that, like, people who have kids and weren't planning on them, that kids can't be raised wonderfully that way. That kid, you know, I would never hold that against a child or anything, you know, at least out loud. Like, we eat bre- I had to eat breakfast every morning and <laughs> also, I'm go to bed on time. Advice. I'm very good at giving advice. I'm very bad at actually living a quality life. Well, it's... 
don't know. It's more interesting hearing uh, people, especially people who are in more mature places, such as someone who's been married for a while, mm-hmm. who supports themselves, supports a household, tell their story because it helps the rest of us learn and gain perspective. I mean, in that sense, uh, talking about mistakes, I think um, worrying about failure is just uh, crippling. Don't do that. Failure is an essential part of success. Uh, I always tell people that if you succeed without failing, then you didn't have anything to do with it. It was just luck. I mean, there's no agency in the success unless you have failed and made a correction. Otherwise, you just got lucky and, you know, view failure as an essential part of success. You, uh... So you talked about not getting on a plane. Mm-hmm. Uh, did that fear affect your current marriage at all? Did you have to work through any... Plane issues? No, nah. not plane issues. I'm talking <laughs> about fear of success. <laughs> fear of succeeding at marriage? Uh, we have the, you know, uh, expectation management. <laughs> Low yeah. expectations. Well, you seem like a great uh, couple. Uh, yeah. So just expectation management will help uh, we'll be our honest. relationship like, exceed. Just be succeed. honest. If you feel like you have to keep huge amounts of secrets from somebody then ask yourself why that's fun in the first place right like again speaking about how my life has been governed by anxiety it's I would not want to be in a relationship that created anxiety in my life the whole point of having a teammate is so that like you know you've got a person in your corner um, and the minute you start viewing things as like transactional or start keeping a ledger, that's the one thing I always tell people is like the minute you start keeping a ledger in your head of like, oh, I did this this many times. And then she, we went out Friday and then she went out Thursday. Like the, you're done. You've lost. You've already lost the minute you're, you're keeping score. I yeah. like that. You just be doing things and just. Well, it's not like it's not like I don't get resentful. Like I get resentful as how my wife is a fucking world champion at garbage can Jenga. Uh, are you familiar with this game where you don't fucking stomp down the garbage can and tie it off and you just keep piling little things on top of the garbage uh, and wait for the other person to well, tie I the give garbage her a off? Run for for money, I'm pretty good at it. Uh, yeah, she it, 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 it fucking drives me crazy. But you know, it's just a thing. Well, they always say, like, uh, on your deathbed, are you really going to care about that, right? Like, Oh, no, I will definitely. You will? <laughs> no, I definitely. I definitely. When I leave for the hospital the last time, I'm going to get, like, a fucking pizza box. And I am going to Frank Lloyd Wright cantilever that shit on top of, like, a grapefruit rind <laughs> on top of that. So she will come back from the hospital. She'll be in tears. And then she'll just mother... I will have won. I will have won marriage. Is that the ultimate goal is to win? Yeah. Oh, everything. Okay. Loser. Learn from our president. Loser. Loser. I want to win my marriage. Uh, Just be more successful than her. Uh, That is never going to happen. I will never, ever, ever be as good at anything as my wife is at her job. That's sweet. That's the sweetest thing that has been said on the podcast. What about being standing up? Um, she doesn't try. Also, they have those funnels. Oh, yeah, they do. For chicks to use. As I said, the episode got cut off. But if you like what we're doing over here, please like, comment, subscribe. Uh, we need subscribers. Uh, we need comments. Even if it's negative feedback, we appreciate that. So let us know what we can do better. Thank you, little mistakers, for listening. We out.